Hello, I'm Stu Rolls, and unbelievably, I'm here today to welcome you, probably our only listener, to the second series of the Back in the Band podcast, a show where we remember a simpler time in our lives, when music and being in a band back in the day meant you could actually dream of one day living the life of a rock and roll star. But we're still waiting for that very day to come. So, what does season two hold? Well, Lee's timetable this year means he's got double science, at the same time I've got music the other side of the building which means we're going to have to mix it up a little bit this season. So to keep me company, I'm going to be dragging some of my old friends and biggest music geeks I know to help me run the shows and ask the questions that you're all getting so bored of hearing at this point. I guess that's all you need to hear from me then, other than to introduce you to the very first episode of Season 2. Episode one of season two. John, you're looking forward to it, mate. I'd like to know how on earth I managed to convince you to waste your time on this. Yeah, man, I'm really here for it. Really enjoyed the job that you leaded on season one. And I know I've got some absolute massive size 15s to fill. I will give it my best shot. In terms of how you've managed to wrangle me and convince me to do this, I think it's got to obviously be down to your superior frontman charisma. Yeah, there's lots of that going on. All those hours impersonating Fred Durst and Aaron Lewis didn't go to waste, mate. Stop it. No puns, no puns allowed. So first episode of season two, and we're probably going to switch up a little bit. So now that we're chatting right now, we actually know who our guest was and what they had to say. And John, it really threw me back to a time when we were talking with Alex about the whole MySpace phase and all that, creating profiles, putting out bulletins for gigs. And it's almost like if you didn't have MySpace as a band, you weren't actually a band. It's such a mental time. Yeah, MySpace, just it's so nostalgic. And I think I remember... It was one of the ways that we would discover bands and we'd also research those bands that we were playing with on lineups. I think it's pretty much where we first discovered Fell Silent. Yeah. You remember? Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, we were on a, we had a gig and it was like, oh, these guys and we'd seen they were on the lineup and found them on MySpace. And then, yeah, yeah, man, that's, I've forgotten about that. That's cool. Yeah, and that, that obviously excited us because we were like, okay, wow, these guys are serious. And then when we actually, I remember when we went and played there on the same bill, obviously we, we were on way before them. And then when they came on, I think headlining at the end, we were just blown away. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't happen very often, but I, that, I really remember that time. And speaking of remembering a good time, I remember doing a lot of fun stuff with Alex and his band, Count the Days. Shall we get down to it? Yeah, man, let's. In a world where we no longer change our ringtone to Linkin Park's latest release, let's get to it. Even though, in all likelihood, nobody is listening. Today's guest is Alex Preston. I first met Alex when I was producing demos for bands in my mum and dad's garage, as he was a drummer in a band called Count the Days. They were one of those bands that we seemed to just immediately click, both musically and as people somehow even managing to convince me to let them sleep over in the studio and take straight shots off Gordon's gin for the first and last time in my life. Over the years, we did a bunch together, producing quite a few different EPs, singles together, bringing me in as a last-minute substitute for their bass player in a music video shoot in the field, and I even got to be their plus one at their support slot for McFly and Lincoln, of all places. One of my best memories with Preston was also being, unashamedly, getting absolutely hammered with him at a Nickelback gig at the O2 and proclaiming several times that night that Nickelback are genuinely one of the best bands we've ever seen live. Still true, if you ask me. So, Preston, mate, it's a joy to have you. Thanks for coming on the pod. Before we get into your band stories from before Count the Days, let's throw it back even further. 
Tell our listeners, what was your first CD or vinyl or cassette tape that you bought with your own money? Ooh, yes, Stu, for the intro. The first CD. I know the first CD that I had bought for me was the Spice Girls. Cutting that. Cutting that. (laughs) (laughs) As a four or five-year-old, I'm trying to think what it would have been with my own money. I think it was, by the way, Chili Peppers. Great. CD? Yeah, it would have been CD, by the way. Where was that? Do you remember? I reckon that would have been... Could have been CEX in Bedford, although it wouldn't have been CEX. It would have been my CD or something, whatever it was bloody called before then. Amazing times, right? Yeah. So we're here to talk about you in a band and not Count the Days because Count the Days was, despite being quite laughable, also quite respectable. So tell us about your most memorable and incredibly embarrassing memories of being in a band in school. What was what was this band called? So the band in school, its first version of the band was called Centre of Eruption. And even saying it, even <laughs> saying it makes me cringe. Yeah, you, you were dancing around that a lot there. Centre of Eruption. Yeah, it was truly awful, to be honest. And yes, very embarrassing. If I think about, I've, today I've spent all morning thinking back to, we used to rehearse at school. I think it was the science block at first when it wasn't, before we had a music room. And that was in year nine. So year nine, what, 12, 13? Where did the name Centre of Eruption come from? I honestly don't know, but I think I think it would have been one of those names that came out of a hat. That's my guess. So the guys that were in the band were really into their sort of heavy rock and metal. And as you do as a 12, 13-year-old going into your high school, you want to latch on to somebody the singer was my neighbor so them being into music i was like i've got something in common with somebody but of course it was yeah on the heavier side of things up to that point my dad was just playing me beatles music so that was my upbringing (laughs) but so when i got to high school it was like okay that guy over there's really into metallica he's really into iron maiden let's have let's start a band so that's where it started but you were playing bass in this band were you I was playing bass. Yeah, I was playing bass. I've always been a bass player. That's always been my first instrument. And yeah, the electric bass, because the double bass is, when you're that age, it doesn't really work in a metal setup. In a metal setup, it doesn't really work. So yeah, the electric bass came front and centre. And yeah, it started just as rock covers. So we had a go at like things like The Trooper, Iron Maiden, and uh, Enter Sandman, Metallica. (laughs) Obviously. And it was that kind of stuff was actually quite enjoyable and it was quite good. Yeah, and then the songwriting side of things came along and they just wanted to scream. Do you remember the first song that you guys wrote? It was probably the one. So that thing, I've got a CD here, hang on. So no is the answer because I had to look it up. So the <laughs> song was These Immortals. and um, That's the one that you sent back on WhatsApp. Yes, one, that's and... the one you sent back. My favourite part, because I gave up after it, was <laughs> after 30 seconds of some ridiculous intro, the, the singer just decided to squeal for about 10 seconds straight and then just didn't hear from him for another 30 seconds before the song got going. Well, that was the centre of the eruption, wasn't it? Well, so it didn't, there was no more erupting after that. Yeah, yeah. It does what it says on the tin, right? Yeah, just bizarre time. And the... The screaming, and I think the guitar riff I may have played a part in, but the rest of it was just like, yeah, just nonsense, really. I can't, I put it on today and I was like, I can't listen to this. This is just horrific. 
<laughs> but at, at the time, was it like, how serious did you take it? Were you one of the guys that was taking it seriously or one of the guys that was just like, oh, whatever, I'll do this because it's a laugh? I think when we first started, it was like, I really enjoyed, tried and tested the covers. And they weren't easy songs as well. If you start trying to have a go at Metallica and Iron Maiden, they're actually, you've got a half play. So, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did enjoy that side of things. And we did a couple of friends parties and stuff and people's gardens, village, village, fates. village fates. Yes. Loved the village fate. And that side of it was actually, yeah, it definitely taught me a lot along the way. And yeah, it was, it was good fun. But then the songwriting, when it got to the songwriting stuff, I realized, okay, I can't hang about with these guys for too much longer. <laughs> As harsh as that sounds. You were better than that, weren't you? Well, I think, I think I, I definitely thought I was better than I was, but yeah, it took a turn, shall we say, and that wasn't a, a route that I wanted to go down. Obviously, you, you started in that band. How long were you playing bass before? I started on double bass as a nine-year-old kid in middle school, and the thing is enormous. I don't know what sort of drew me to the double bass. So as a nine-year-old kid, it was a bit of a challenge to get your hand around it, but it was... Just we're not used to dealing with big instruments. Where exactly, you yeah, yeah. Tighten them, yeah, tighten them things about, you know. Probably not that long after, maybe 10 or 11, I was in a very fortunate position that my dad basically ran a musical instrument wholesale company. So he'd import instruments. And then if, if he thought, oh, I'll take this home, this looks good, check this out, bring something home from the warehouse. And then sometimes these things would linger about so that's where I got my first drum kit that's where I got my first bass Amazing. where I first where I got my first double bass not many nine-year-olds get access to a double bass because they cost a load of money so I was in a very fortunate position and I had quite a lot of encouragement you say on the encouragement then where, where did that stem from with a musical household my dad's yeah my dad's a guitar player so he would always have some sort of music on hand to listen to although it wasn't very current it was definitely a pro probably quite a decent musical upbringing so i had a lot of the beatles a lot of led zeppelin a lot of Jimi hendrix a lot of 60s 70s rock and blues i'd say predominantly not nickelback right but predominantly not nickelback yeah that was definitely a self-discovery of it later on i was thinking about that today as well when Silverside came up, that was a big tune. When that came in the charts, like how you remind me, you know, you yeah. start becoming aware of chart music at 10 years old. Yeah. Because obviously friends are listening to it and stuff and they've all got Shaggy on. And you're like, wow, <laughs> how you remind me. Like this is something with guitars in it is on the radio. Yeah. I remember we were listening when John and I and, and Lee started playing in the band or pretending to be in a band. I remember that when that song was popular. And I remember, John, we were in your little office the, the guys were like we need a bass player so i like stole my mum's old acoustic guitar that had a like a hole around the back of it as well as the one on the front amazing somehow and trying to learn the bass for how you remind me on that <laughs> whilst john was playing on like a, you know those little argos tray drum kits yamaha like electric drum kits yamaha electric kit yeah it's just, oh, incredible. just shocking yeah man the least responsive thing amazing so tell us talking about embarrassing stories so so other than the name, Sensor of Eruption, give us some <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> stories. There's a few moments. There's definitely a few moments in there. So, well, first of all, I mentioned band practices. So band practices were at school. Um, I remember the guitar player, he got strap locks for a birthday present, but it was like, 
I'm going to swing my guitar around my neck because I've got strap locks now. So he's, he's got these locks on. I don't know who's fitted them, but you can probably tell where this is going. So he put them yeah. on his, he, Ibanez gem, by the way, he had a nice guitar. So he's put them on his guitar, he's got it around his neck and he does it, he throws it and it lands and he's got it. It's amazing. He's like, somebody film this because it's amazing. Part two, chucks it, <laughs> goes right across the classroom, doesn't it? Ends up near the window. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So we go and have a look. It's fine. Thankfully, it's fine. Nothing's broken. <laughs> Maybe a string or two. I can't really remember. It made horrendous noise. Definitely like it was going to be in pieces when he picked it up. So that, <laughs> that, was, that was pretty monumental at that time. Um, it's all right, you get him some discount guitar strings from your dad's company, mate. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Call in a few favours, mate. No, don't worry, don't worry. But in terms of embarrassing live, we were actually a part of the back end of this sort of rock, heavy rock metal scene that was happening locally, which was actually really cool. And it did get us to do some pretty decent gigs. And you turn up to these village halls and there's a room full of teenagers and these bands that know what they're doing. But around that time, it was like, wow, this is amazing. But I remember one of the first ones we did was not like that at all. It was a load of old parents. And I think one of the dads had set the PA up. Nobody really knew what they were doing. And it was just howling. The PA was screaming. Whenever they go near this microphone, it'd be like, oh yeah. my God, it's horrific. And he was Painful. like, everything's too close to the mic. Move everything back. So we're moving these amps back. Yeah, it's nothing to do with the fact that this guy didn't know what he was doing with the gear, of course. Yeah, exactly. So with our cables into the amps, we're, the cables are at full strength and in the air because we're that far away from the microphones. Does that, is that why you now play with your bass up really high? Really just... high? <laughs> what, in fear of the cable just falling out? <laughs> it's a bit closer to me. Just to trained you to give it yeah. a slab of the bass up slab high, of the bass. Oh, no, that's definitely the Mark King influence, isn't it? Get that round the neck, boy. Um, <laughs> So, of course, so we're playing away and then I go into thinking oh, I can throw a harmony in there and then the cable pops out, doesn't it, on, on my bass. I've got no sound for what feels like an eternity. Just go and plug that back in. Room full of adults looking on thinking, what the fuck is going on here? What are we doing? But that was a pretty Maybe. horrific moment. Yeah, quite embarrassing. Thing is, it's like they're they're so cringeworthy when you look back at them. At the time, you don't really realise, and you go to so much effort as well, right? It was always like traipsing gear all around. Oh God, yeah. Genuinely getting buzzing for it and trying to get people to come, and you're like, we've got to really work on like this song or really practice for it. When in reality, no one's there. Like when anyone's there, doesn't want to be there. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. it's always outside as well. Why is it always outside? People can leave a bit more conveniently, can't they? Yeah, but then just like, like, let's piss off the entire neighbourhood rather than just a yeah. little house over there. But it's a very strange time. I remember doing this birthday party. That might have been one of the first gigs we did. I think the guitar player was, I think he fancied the birthday girl or something. So that's how we got the gig. It was like, oh, you're in there, mate. Or the other way around, maybe. Yeah, after it, you're not in there at all. Yes, 100%. That's so. the question off the back of that, then. Do you think that your status in centre of eruption helps your social status in, in school? Do you think it made you more popular, or did you just get bullied because of it, or, or what? It definitely didn't help. Absolutely not. <laughs> if anything, it pushed me further away from any sort of popularity. It was a bit of a killer, really, when I think about it. In early stages, yeah, you're playing rock covers, Anyone into that sort of music, it drew a bit of a crowd. I think covers do in general, don't they? If you play a half-decent cover, 
you're going to get a bit of, oh, these guys are all right. As soon as we start doing our own stuff, oh my God, drops us down a, a few pegs, definitely. How was the name received that go over? Oh, we were called Centre of Erection for the, the, <laughs> the, the, the eternity of the band. Why have I not even thought of that until you said that? <laughs> it was definitely, yeah. I think it, it became so clear that what I was doing, being a part of this, I probably need to call it a day here. Okay, so we talked about the fun stories. Was there anything that was a little bit more serious where you like, oh, this is pretty cool, I enjoyed it? Or did you just look back and go, fucking hell? I think I look back and think, fucking hell, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like normally on this pod, we come to the end, and everyone goes, yeah, I'm, just, I'm glad I did it. It was really fun. I think it was really good for me personally and my development. Is that just bullshit? No, in terms of the pathway, it definitely made me put some filters on in terms of, I like this, I don't like this. Focused. It focused me. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, John. Obviously, being in a band covering one of the things as well as playing this imitation. And uh, you sent a picture through earlier today. Mm. I just wanted to know about who inspired that, that barnet. <laughs> oh, it's the 60s do if, if I've ever seen one, isn't it? I think it was just a stage. I think I was growing my hair and that was probably right. a midpoint. So I had really long hair when I was 15, 16, past my shoulders. I should probably send a photo as reference as well. But it was, this was basically... I wouldn't, a, I'd advise you not to Just photo. For, for pure embarrassment. <laughs> We've got photos of us and our college band. Pictures of us in the girl who was in the same class as me. Very similar, in her garden, putting up a fucking gazebo. Python. Literally no one's outside in her back garden. It was a massive back garden. Everyone's like, I'm staying in the house. It's slightly raining and these guys are shit. And you're just like, why did you do that? Yeah, we did one mad. similar to that. It was the guitar player's house. And I don't know what the occasion was, but they set us up in the living room, opened the French doors, and they had a gazebo with all the parents just sitting there having a, a glass of wine. The thing that's also mad is you think about your parents and them being supportive and open to it and stuff. And then I don't know about you guys, but I, like, I think to myself, if, if my kids are like, can I put up a gazebo in your garden? It's time to get fucked. There's literally no way you're putting up a gazebo in your garden. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's not yeah. happening. So while we're on about people not having a clue about gear, what was your preferred gear, mate? Bass or drums? In terms of gear, I loved like getting new drum bits, having some paper round money and going and buying a little splash cymbal because it's affordable, something that's like a little yeah. part to add on to the drums. It's just amazing. Like that sort of 14, 15 year old, a little bit of regular money coming in, like scraping some cash together and then, oh, dad, can I get this? Be like, yeah, I can call a guy, can do you a deal, get a little bit off. And it's like, oh, amazing. Oh, I'll have this one as well then. Get a stand and something. It's just brilliant. Like having that and just, like I say, like building something. It was wicked. And just <laughs> on that, I was always fiercely loyal. Like I was always a bit fasty. Remo heads, always Sabian symbols, I think, with the post-PTS from Incubus, but was that always something a bit more liberal with it? I wasn't actually that aware of, other than pictures of Flea, like talking about bass players and their gear and stuff, other than Flea, as a teenager, I don't remember. What was it with Flea, though? Was there something that you were like, oh man, he's got, because I don't even know he plays, what does he play? Bass. He plays a fen Fender Jazz, bass player, yeah. Yeah, I know, mate, thanks for that. Okay, thanks that much. <laughs> You'd led me up the garden path there, John. Fuck's sake. Christ's uh, sake. 
Kids are having a pod, mate. <laughs> Font of fucking knowledge, isn't he? Um, yeah, Fender Jazz player. It's just, and the sound of it, it sounded like nothing else. Or when I heard that album at middle school, someone played me Can't Stop. And I was like, what is this? I need to have it. It's amazing. It's like I've just started learning bass and it's like, this is just the best thing I've ever heard. I've been listening to Sgt. Pepper for the last however fucking long. So I need something fresh. <laughs> this is incredible. But yeah, he was the only one that I was really keeping tabs on. But in terms of drums, it was just like whatever. Like maybe my dad had seen something like on his rounds. And he's like, oh, he had this amazing, this guy, this dealer today had Black Panther snare drum in. And it sounded amazing. It's like, you need one of them. So it's like, you save up and you think, oh, I'll get one of them then. And then it's like, oh, matey boy's doing Sabian cymbals now. And it's okay. They they look wicked. You go on the website and looking at websites and just scrolling through. So much, yeah. So good. And I don't know if you remember, but the Sabian website, it still might, used to have this kit builder. So you'd have like your setup. And then you could pick and yeah. choose the different types of symbol. The amount of time. Yeah. And then an AAX explosion crash and a... Yeah, yeah. man. But just building this imaginary virtual drum kit. Just, you know, waste of time really, but incredible. And just thinking, oh, I want that symbol next. So I'm going to save up for that thing. Yeah. I think we were so heavily influenced, I think, by because we were all about, like I say, I was like, save me. The guitarist always, oh, I definitely need an Ibanez. Yeah, yeah. To do with imitating your idol. So in terms of influences for design, did you guys have a logo? Did you do any merchandise? I'm guessing that was some sort of dodgy font and, and blood work at some point. Yeah, you've nailed it, mate. You've nailed it. So so this is it here. Oh, for fucking... fuck's sake. Cradle of Filth ripoff, isn't it? I didn't even realise that the name was changed to The Enemy Within until the guitar player brought the CD to school. I think it was a good experience for you though, mate. Would you change anything about it? The only thing that I would probably change is to make me come out of my shell. Cut your hair. Cut my hair. Cut Cut my hair, first of all. And definitely come out of my shell a bit more. Because we did, again, another thing at school, which was outside. And I did a thing. This is where the crossover was happening. And I was doing stuff with Reese. And we did a thing and I sang. And I think that's probably one of the only things that I would change is that I would say to myself, be confident because you can sing. And maybe I could have, because the guitar player then, he was like, you should, why aren't you singing for us? Maybe I'd down tools at that point. But (laughs) that could have been, I probably should have told myself to, you know, not be, it's just scared, isn't it? Not be scared of putting myself out there a bit more. I am going to ask because I'm curious. Your kids, if they start playing music, and they're like, Dad, I've got this band, they're called Centre of Erection 2, <laughs> and they start playing crap covers, are you going to tell them, stop playing crap music in Centre of Eruption 2, or are you going to encourage, no, encourage it? No, I definitely encourage it. So, Would you um, do up front, though? Would you be like, look, to be honest, it's not great, you need to work on your timing or whatever, or would you just be like, no, it's great, it's great? I think somewhere in the middle. I, I'm not going to be brutally honest, because, of course... A kid playing covers, unless they're phenomenal players at that point and has got some kind of ability, then no, it's always going to be, it's always going to fall short. So there's no point hammering them. What was your, so it's curious then, because actually I'll ask you the same question then, because John, your dad was quite involved. Was he quite like strict in like, to be honest, your timing, be better at this, whatever, or how open was he with you about it? Oh, if I got a compliment off my dad, then I must have done something amazing. Was that the same with you, John? No, I think he was, he was easier with it. 
easier with the bump, that's for sure. Yeah. No, my dad, one of the gigs that I did with Centre Eruption, I think, was at school, and he was like, that's a waste of time. <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> well, he came, did he come? And then he just said that was a complete waste yeah, of time. He came and saw it, and I think, no, not for him, just watching it, which obviously it was, but yeah. for you, for me, as in him saying to me, that's a waste of time. So stop, waste, <laughs> stop wasting your time doing that because uh, maybe there's a backhanded compliment in there. You're better. But than was that, that because he know. was seeing you? Yeah, I was going to say that's what was it because he was seeing you doing other stuff and he knew you could play other stuff far better ultimately. I'd, maybe I'd like to think that, but I think it's just it's that his standards were so high and yeah. to get anywhere near them, <laughs> it wasn't going to be the. <laughs> Do you think ultimately that's a help or a hindrance? This is what I mean in terms of my own kids. There's a time and a place, isn't there? I think sometimes you need to be a bit more straight and just tell it how it is. But when, and there's a, maybe that was the right time for me in terms of that stuff, because I probably knew it as well. But in terms of my eldest, she started being in a band and I'm not going to shoot her down. Definitely not. I, um, Adrian's birthday, who's four this weekend, you got a, little acoustic guitar for four-year-olds from Amazon. Brilliant. Euros. Brilliant. Yeah, it would be. But <laughs> so I was like, right, well, I'll open this for you, mate. Let's get it set up. The guitar strings, let's, you know, let's get them going. Fucking immediately, the second string, bang! Right, we're begging that return then. He's <laughs> <laughs> laddie, where's my guitar? I'm like, we've oh. had to send that back. <laughs> that's, that's broken as shit. Don't want oh. to get that. We'll get you a proper one. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Now it's time for the return of my favourite feature from last season, my Napster. We're sticking with this one because it stirs up a ton of nostalgia for our guests. We'll be asking them to share a track that meant a lot to them during their time in a band and explain why it was so significant. Last season surfaced some absolute bangers and we're keen to do the same this time around. So Alex, we're curious, how did you come across this song? Did it come from a mate CD or did you bootleg it on LimeWire? And what's the story behind your choice? What memories does it conjure up for you? Before I say what it was, it was a time when Kerrang! and the music videos was a massive thing. Get home from school, get the music channel yep. on. So everything that I was listening to at that time was mainly from those channels. And the video was so different to everything else, which was so polished and produced. And it just blew me away. The song blew me away. It was like nothing I've ever heard. Um, and it's Sorry You're Not A Winner and Shikari. It was around that time where there was a kind of shift in what I knew that I didn't want to do and what I knew I started to want to pursue, if that makes sense. So although it's quite a heavy track, the singing bass player and the drums were amazing and it was heavy, but it was melodic and it just had everything. And it was a bit poppy, but a bit rocky. Yeah, dancey. Yeah, it's just... That just exploded at the time, didn't it? Because yeah. it was like, and everyone was like, oh, we want to be in a Shikari. And I remember having so many conversations with the girls in a band at the time in uni and everything was like, what can we do? Genuinely, what can we do that was 
inspired by them and it was all the glow sticks kicking off and the way you jump around and like that just like you say that kind of like bootlegging production yeah. value but actually is produced it was just such a vibe yeah. the make it at home video of like being in the front room and just having all your mates around and I had his Adidas t-shirt as well I know that sounds really cringe but I was like oh that's I've got to wear that's brilliant had that lost it at yeah. a gig didn't I but I think I saw that and then Rob was like, have you seen this? Have you heard this song? Mm. That was around the same sort of time that, yeah, we were, we were looking at doing a band and or we started, maybe started playing a little bit. It was just a complete game changer. If you remember as well, like MySpace was massive then as well, wasn't it? And they yeah, were just yeah. like, had exploded at the same time between them and Arctic Monkeys. And we've not really talked about it at MySpace, to be honest, but like that whole MySpace MP3 music player as well, putting tracks on there and having it on your profile as well. That was mad. Yeah, it's a great choice, man. I haven't, I just didn't expect that. I always forget you're like 12. <laughs> that was one of my that was one of my uni jams man I loved that at uni it was incredible that's one of the ones I'd have when I'm like getting ready for a night out like it's incredible yeah I think I was 15 when I saw that and it was definitely the end of the metal thing great choice man I didn't expect that one at all but wrapping up then thanks for coming on I appreciate your stories about being in centre of eruption <laughs> thank you very much for having me yeah trip down memory lane I'd actually buried a lot of those memories. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It just a lot of it you just forget, and it's amazing thinking back. I actually had a lot of fun, embarrassed myself, but actually, hey, that's the point, right? Yeah, it's trip down memory lane. Yeah, fantastic. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Alex. Hey there, rockers. This is James Hetfield from Metallica, and you've been tuning in to the Back in the Band podcast. Thanks for riding the lightning with us. Remember, this isn't a one-way conversation. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find us at Back in the Band Pod. Got something to say? Tweet us at Back in the Band. And of course, make sure to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss the riff. Until next time, keep rocking, stay tuned, and stay metal. Metal.